This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by... Come check out the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce live at Free Play Florida. So far, we've got confirmed guests, Billy Mitchell, Walter Day, George Lowe, the voice of Space Ghost on Cartoon Network, Keith Apicary, Classic Gaming Wiz, and self-proclaimed Sega CEO, Scott Adams, legendary creator of text-based adventures, and our good friend, Brian Colon, creator of Rampage and Arch Rivals. There will also be over 200 games at this event, including three 10-foot arcade cabinets featuring classic games like Star Wars. There will also be a console museum. Go get tickets at wp.freeplayflorida.com. Friday is going to be 25 bucks. Saturday is 30. Sunday is 25 bucks. Kids are, of course, five dollars. You can get the whole weekend, Johnny, for 60. And also, there's going to be an awesome Saturday night party, which is 15 dollars, but it's going to be from 11:30 to 3 a.m. Full arcade music plus live performances, and it's all at the newly renovated Double, Double Tree Sea World. So you definitely want to go check it out, and don't forget to tell them that the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce sent you. This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by Retro Game Treasure. Retro Game Treasure is an amazing monthly subscription service. They send you custom-tailored boxes straight to your door from the video games that you love. You go on there, you have a wish list, you have your console of choice. They'll send you games from an assortment of consoles like NES, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Sega CD, Sega Dreamcast, Sega Game Gear, Game Boy Color, Xbox, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, GameCube, and many more. Now announcing... They are delivering straight to you Nintendo DS games and PSP games. What do the listeners of the Happy Hour get, Deuce? Put in Happy Hour in the promo box and you'll get $2 off your order. Remember, with Retro Game Treasure, you get classic video games delivered every month. Go to RetroGameTreasure.com, pick your consoles, set your preferences, and add to your wish list. And don't forget to tell them that the Happy Happy Hour with with Johnny and Deuce sent you. Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. Hello, Internet. Yeah, we back in the fact. Don't know you had a long day, but let us inject. Sit back, relax, and have some cold beer. Gotta pay a few bills. Yeah, we're all clear. And it's Deuce on the loose. You know the tag team champion. We get the biggest pop when we hit the ramp. The outlaws of the new age. And we still got love for the retro wage. You know, Nintendo. Sega Genesis, so many systems, your dreamcast and reminisce. So pull back the curtain and hit the booth, cause it's the happy hour podcast with Johnny and Duke. Yeah. When it all gets too much, that's when I need a reminder that it's all the test. If it's all the test. You can say it isn't real, but I can always track you through your web address like a cyber terrorist. Results. 
Everybody's official position is we're safe as we've ever been. But I don't believe them. Motherfucker, be bullshitting. Hi there, this is Mark with a C, and when I accidentally fall off a cliff and break my neck and I'm just stuck watching the vultures circle around me, I'd rather be listening to Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. Hello, internets. This is not Johnny. This is your special guest host, Nathan Rapert, and I'm here with Johnny and Deuce for the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. What's going on, man? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, we've got a uh, we've got Nate on, on the mic tonight because he is a huge fan of our special guest. But before we get to special guest, we got to get to the do salute. Do salute. <sighs> Good times. You don't know how much I need this fucking beer. Right cheers, now. cheers, <laughs> Bloody man. Cheers, cheers, cheers. <laughs> of course, uh, we are 
a twice weekly podcast dropping on Tuesdays and Fridays for your listening pleasure. Yes, sir. And uh, of course, uh, we love to have special guests with us on the Happy Hour, Johnny and Deuce. Yes. And Nate, who do we have on with us at the Happy Hour, Johnny and Deuce? We have Orlando musical icon Mark with a C. Mark with a C. Welcome to the Happy Hour, Johnny and Deuce, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Mark, uh, so out, get out of the way. First, I'm a big fan. Uh, me and my wife discovered you about two years ago at an MC Lars show um, at Back Booth, I believe. And we instantly, you opened, we loved it. We bought a couple CDs and have forever since gone to multiple of your shows. So I just want to say thank you for what you do and that uh, me and my wife are huge fans. Oh, thank you so much. And it's, man, those MC Lars shows are so much fun. If you're unfamiliar with MC Lars, he's just such a ball of positive. That's that's it. Like, you can't say a negative. Like, you could take a bite of dirt, and he could look at your face and go, but man, isn't that dirt's consistently bad flavor tight? Yep. And he he would make you thankful to eat that dirt. And so you can't have a bad show with MC Lars. So I think a lot of the credit goes to him because sometimes I got a real sourpuss on my face. <laughs> Which MC Lars is the adult swim guy, right? The guy from Aqua Teen Hunger Force? And the, no, that's that's Schooly D, isn't that's it? Schooly D. Schooly no. D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. MC You're Lars. thinking MC Chris. Ah, That's how there it is? we go. Yeah. There's too many MCs for me to keep up with. <laughs> My white Polk County ass doesn't know how to keep up with all of them. MC Escher, you know. Almost <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so, Mark, uh, t- kind of walk us through your story. Where did you start musically? When, you know, when did you first pick up a guitar? What were your first things you did in yesteryear? Oh, wow. I mean, there's so much. Where do I begin? Okay, so first there were the dinosaurs, but then they got too fat and died. Um Shortly thereafter, I got my first guitar when I was around 12 years old, and I made attempts at playing it, made attempts at forming teenage groups who took stabs at democracy and ultimately failed at that, and um, I found myself working for a local group called Precious, and they were uh, sort of on the verge of breaking, I mean, to the point where there there was major label interest, and they ended up being signed to a label that went on to be... Uh, you know, a little, uh, a little big. So uh, I was basically the guy that helped him carry in the stuff, and I worked the merch booth. And Precious was not known for punctuality. And one night at a place called the Kit Kat Club, which thankfully is not much for alliteration, um, the Precious was nowhere to be found, or at least the lead singer and vocalist Steve Garen wasn't anywhere to be found. And that's kind of how he rolls. And the promoter's frantically running around going, can anybody play the guitar? Can anybody, Can you just get on stage and do something? And I um, raise my hand and I'm like, yeah, you know, I've got some silly things I've been working on. And she says, okay, what's your name? And I said, Mark. And she jots it down. And I'm like, no, no, you've written it wrong. And I don't know why this mattered to me. Because she was just going to say Mark. Like the, the crowd couldn't hear the K. And I, I corrected her. I said, no, it's with a C. And she goes, okay, and walks to the, the stage and says, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark. And then she pauses for the most epic eye roll in the history of epic <laughs> eye roll with a C. And then I strap on Steve Guerin's guitar and I open the show with a cover of the Laverne and Shirley theme because the set was completely unprepared. 
and I played these, really these were kind of jokey songs in the beginning. That I wasn't taking them very seriously at all, and I was only making them up to entertain myself. This was not the serious artist stuff that I was trying to hone to take out into the world. So it was a real surprise to me when that show went so well that my phone rang off the hook the next day. And really, in some indirect way, everything that I do now is an indirect connection to that gig. So that's that's where I came from and how I uh, how I began. So. How many shows would you say you do a year now? So that was kind of it. You stumbled into your first one. You know, what's the? How many shows are you uh, putting on in a single year if you had to average it out? Oh, you know, not many in the last few years. Uh, I would say I do somewhere between twenty and thirty a year now. Just in the last two years, because I don't tour and I also don't. Tr I try not to oversaturate locally. I'm uh, my brand of making things just happens to be writing and releasing material and sometimes going to do um, some token shows here and there. But I, I find that with the internet being so prevalent, uh, you know, a bunch of people seeing a video can do just as much work as you sleeping in a cat piss covered van in Poughkeepsie to sing Nerdy Girls <laughs> for the billionth time. So I, I never toured much, and now I tour less, but I, I'd like to change that in the coming year because uh, the record that I'm, I'm putting out next year, I think um, I'd like to do some due diligence to make sure it hits as many ears as possible. So talking about that new record, if, if you can a little bit, uh, if I understand correctly, you actually drove to the Great White North to make this album. Is that accurate? Almost, and, and I'm sorry to correct you here on your own show. I didn't drive. Um, oh. I, I flew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought another detail wrong, but okay, I, I could accept the transportation error. <laughs> no, that would have been a great. Uh, I should have done it. I, I should have drove and you know uh, done some sightseeing all the way up. But no, I famously am impatient. and I just wanted to get up there and make the record and make it good and get home. So what sparked what sparked you to do it in Canada? My very first record, Human Slushy, which I think finally came out in 2002 after being worked on for like a year and a half, didn't thrill me. It didn't really represent where I wanted to go. And But I, I didn't know that until it was done. I didn't know that it wasn't where I wanted. I had to make it to find out I wanted to do something else. And... After that, I was pretty defiantly self-producing, and I also didn't know how to self-produce at all, so my records afterwards were just a big learning curve of learning how to do it. But the gentleman that recorded this, his name is Jordan Zadarozny, and this was an intersection of, I felt like I'd kind of learned all I could learn for recording on my own, and I'd hit a ceiling. It wasn't going to sound much different than the last full record, Unicorns Get More Bacon. So I went to one of my musical idols. I mean, he was the dream producer. He was in a group in the late 90s and early 2000s called Blinker the Star. And they were a moderate success up in Canada. But you probably know him from his work with Chris Cornell uh, in the production chair. And he also produced some stuff for Mandy Moore. He had some co-writing credits on Hole's Celebrity Skin album. And he, he took things that weren't uh, often were, were hitting trouble spots and he shined them and he made them work 
for people who might not have gotten it otherwise. And I felt like, well, I've really hit a ceiling with my own talent uh, as far as production goes. And I've hit a ceiling with, as far as I can go, sort of being a culty artist. I need someone to guide me to the next, not the next level, but the next step in the artistic path. And it was a dream, dream come true when he said yes. Nice. This record's been about four years in the making of writing and plotting it and ultimately deciding on the trajectory and the themes. Uh, you'll find, uh, without spoiling much at all for you, you're going to find if you listen to a couple of records straight through in my catalog, the albums of original material, that a lot of things connect, and this is the intersection. And there were certain records that maybe you ought to have been playing end-to-end as one big record. Makes sense. Awesome. So one of the other things I learned, uh, because you're very active on social media, that's one of the things that kind of – was a draw for me after the first show found you on Facebook. Like you liked me back and immediately commented on a couple posts. And that was one of the things I was like, Oh wow. Holy cow. This guy's very interactive with his fans. Um, one of those things I did learn is you have a love and I, I may say obsession with vinyl as a media. Yeah. Talk about that a little. Sure. Um, but man, I love it so much that I could go on and on. Is there a, is there a specific thing you want to know, like why vinyl? Yeah, why vinyl? Uh, you like to use multicolor vinyl and things that have a, <laughs> a visual appeal to them. So what brings that on? Um, vinyl was the first way that I fell in love with with music, period. And what I, I believe that I fight for most is if you go back far enough, you'll find that the vinyl record didn't go away because people didn't like it. It went away because labels decided that they needed to make you rebuy things. And the compact disc was not perfected. And the compact disc is, now that we've kind of learned how to work within its limitations, it's not a bad source of media. I just don't like people deciding en masse that you can't own things or that they're not going to produce something that a lot of people really love. So I took it upon myself to try my best to keep my favorite uh, media or delivery of media alive. And, uh, but for me, I just really, uh, I like the big art. I like the smell. Vinyl's just kind of sexy. Um, if you got a good s- uh, setup, it definitely can knock the pants off of any, any digital source. But this is the important thing to know about vinyl. And when people talk about the warmth, the warmth, that they're hearing from vinyl is actually a distortion because when you make a vinyl record, you actually, the the plant does a thing called the RIAA curve, which takes away almost all the bass information. And then there's a preamp that sort of um, grounds your turntable and it brings back the bass artificially through electricity. So it literally powers your bass with the energy of the earth. And that's the difference in bass response from a cassette or vinyl. It's this magical thing that should not work, and somehow it does. And people look at it as archaic, but it's actually brilliant and should not exist at all. Um, I love every single thing about it, except that I can't fit more songs on per side. Yeah. (laughs) 
and you've released quite a few uh, multicolor ones. Is there just something to give it a visual appeal? Do you have a, a rhyme or reason behind the color schemes and, and how that works? Uh, some of them were really obvious, like the first vinyl pressing of my second record, Bubblegum Romance, just that, well, why wouldn't we put that out on bubblegum pink vinyl? You know, that makes that that just makes too much sense. It's so on the nose. I shouldn't have been allowed to do it on the album. Popular music. That was literally a crowdsourced album. I crowdsourced the information of what people claim to want out of my records. I asked many questions over six months or so, like, what is a song title that would make you buy an album sight unseen? And I put all of the information that my existing fan base claimed to want into the Mark with a C filter, and I made songs out of that. So the front of the album cover is a pie chart, but importantly, since you're playing back the information, I made the record itself, when you take it out of the sleeve, I made it the same pie chart. So you're actually dropping the needle on the market research information. And uh, for Unicorns Get More Bacon, we just we just thought it looked cool, and it, it went with the... the um, color scheme of the cover and some of them I don't uh, some sometimes I'm just in the mood to make a blue record nice. you know yeah. that's it just I feel like it now when you actually like go down and say like hey we're gonna make a vinyl copy of this I guess you get to pick whatever color you want it to be and whatever like putting the pie chart on there you just tell them hey I want it with this pie graph on there or whatever and they just do it Yes and no. Um, it costs more to do colored records, but in the case of the pie chart, there's certain colors that some plants won't do because they can't find a version of that um, those pellets that meet their um, – how do I say this properly? It's made as an oil byproduct, and not all countries have the same access to the oil byproduct at the same time. So some people will try to pass off toxic versions of them. So you have to do a little bit of research if you want certain color combinations to go together and figure out which plant will do it the way you want. So in our case, we didn't want to do a picture disc because those sound abhorrent. I mean, they're just god-awful. I wanted the actual record to have three distinct triangles coming together to make a circle, and that took a little bit of diligence on my part. So I had to search around and talk to plants and tell them what I wanted. And I don't often explain myself terribly well when something doesn't exist and I can't just point to it and go, come on, that thing. And I don't make my own art most times because I'm just not a very visual thinker. So partially... It costs more to do, but you have to really work on your communication skills to get what you want because, unfortunately, vinyl plants will give you exactly what you order. And you can't leave anything to chance because if there's one detail you've forgotten, it will absolutely be there forever. Case in point, my live album, The Real Live Sound of Mark with a C, the LP doesn't have any what they would call bands, which is to... Uh, little spaces that signify, okay, the next song's going to start here. It doesn't have any because I didn't mark them on the sheet. There was already too much paperwork. So live and learn. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, wow, because, yeah, you're right, because I actually listened to that album today at work, and I was like, it's a great album, number one, but two, 
I could see there where that would be problematic because you don't know where the next song is going to begin or end. And also that that record is a lot of you do the song, you tell a story, you do the next song. Like there's a lot of gaps in between, so it, it definitely having the bands there probably would have helped a little bit. It it could have, and I mean it's indexed properly on compact disc and digital, right? But the real live sound of Mark with a C, even though you know people can cherry pick from it and listen to the story and the song that they want, I wanted people to have the chance to listen to it straight through and get the flow of a show. Me playing in a small place, I wanted you to have the exact experience that the folks there would have, including machinery happening at the bar that's way too loud and it's drowning out the left side of the PA stack. We left all of that in. Um, it was the it's probably the least doctored live album of all time. And man, I would have definitely gone in and made the crowd sound thicker if if I were gonna change anything. But uh, no, on that case, you, you sort of tell them like, all right, at 12 minutes and 22 seconds, I need a visual marker. And I simply forgot to do that. Well, actually, I think you hit the nail right on the head because like the reason I picked that one of your albums to listen to today, w along with the others. But the one I picked first is I was like, I want an album that I can listen to from beginning to end that I think is really going to like introduce me to Mark with a C. Like I want the album that's going to show me who he is like as a musician and I figured the live album with the story wasn't one to do that, and it was, and it was, it, I loved it. It was awesome, but I also see what you're saying, and I agree. Like that is an album you're meant to put on from the beginning and listen to the end, not bounce around on. Well, cool. I'm glad that that experience worked out for you. And if somebody were like, I really just want to get to the heart of it. Like, what are you up to? What's the thing you do? I would be more likely to hand them that record on my own than anything else because each record that I've done that's a studio record represents kind of a certain phase in my creativity but that one it sounds similar to what I did in the early days it sounds similar to the next solo show I'm gonna do that's just me interacting with an audience that wants to listen and I'm glad it was effective for you and to make it you know sweeter for the the folks that buy vinyl they got the encores um, the show ended at Happy to Be Alive, but I was called back for an encore, and I did a We're All Gonna Die in Retro Lo-Fi. Yep. <laughs> so bonuses for, for those who like the wax. So before we get into the next question uh, from Nate, um, I for those that don't know who you are, like your music, how can you? what's the best way to describe what you do, like what type of music you do, uh, and, and so on? Well, you can choose whichever one of these you like most. I can say it's kind of sarcastic indie pop or it's brand new classic rock. Okay. As a fan, I prefer the latter because that, that the brand new classic brand rock. New classic rock. rock yeah. That is a pretty damn good slogan right there. That's a t-shirt waiting to happen. Yeah. I don't mean to emphasize the word classic, but when someone says classic rock, you kind of have an idea of the style that they mean like, okay, right. this era of rock and roll and, I hearken back to that quite a lot because that's the first um, music that I fell in love with. So, of course, it influences and informs what I write. I can't get away from it even when I try. I think I totally butchered it then when I explained Mark with a C to my mother this morning because, you know, I, t I talk to my mom and dad a lot, and she's she's a big fan of the show. And I tell her who I'm interviewing, and I'm like, well, I'm interviewing this guy who's kind of a legend in Orlando, like kind of in the nerdcore world, and then she gives me this weird look, and I'm like, 
Think about if John Mayer sang about like Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars and shit. And she's like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I get that. So, But I think that probably may not have been the best way to introduce you, but I thought it worked, but maybe not so much. No, you're right. I mean, whatever the audience member gets out of it is right. Once I've done it, it's out of my hands. I can't call it anything and be accurate. Your experience, once I've put the art into the world, is what matters. So, no, you were right. You said that you earlier you mentioned something about um, you know getting the statistics from your fans and whatnot. For is that the name of the album or the name of the songs or a mixture of both? That record is called Popular Music because the uh, there's a title track to that song or that album called Popular Music, and the the hook line is this song can't be popular until you decide it is. So all of the lyrical information and in some cases the beats and the BPMs were influenced by what listeners claim to want. But it also came at a time where people were listening to albums less and less and less. So it was a bit of an artistic statement on I can hand you everything you claim that you want, but you'll probably never hear the end of it. That's actually really, really good statement because like – I'm one of those guys, I like to listen to album from beginning to end. I don't like to, like, cherry-pick songs. So, like, I could see that. But a lot of people are just the opposite. They want to listen to, okay, I want to listen to the three hits on this album, then I want to go to the next album, listen to the two hits on that one, and, you know, or they've got an iPod full of just hits from different people, and I'm more of, I like to put an album on and just listen to it from, like, beginning to end. I'm on your side about that. I don't believe that any person who enjoys music and art is ever wrong for how they enjoy it. But I, I just don't want albums to die. I always want there to be the option for them to exist. And that's really what I keep alive by doing vinyl records. Just I want it there as an option. And see, and that's what I want. Like I, Johnny is lucky enough. You've got a, you actually have a really nice turntable here at the house at our studio here at the Happy Hour with Johnny and Do Studios. Do you have a turntable at the house? I do not. See, I want to get. I don't have one, but that's something that for a long time I've been wanting because I was like, look, I can get a turntable. I can hook it into the surround sound Mm -hmm. for my TV and my Blu-ray player and everything else, and get a really good sound out of it. And and. Vinyl has just such a good sound, man. There's like, a, I always equate it to like there's like a texture that you get out of it yeah. that, you, that you wouldn't get with a the CD or a cassette. No, it, and it, like it's more alive. To, yeah, it's more alive. And I love it. listening to albums on you guys' turntable right. because even though I might have the exact same album like on a CD or even on you know my iPod or whatever, like there's nothing better than like turning on the the vinyl and hearing it on the vinyl and that scratch kind of yeah in, like it's, it's just it's got more of an earthy well, i remember the gritty first feel well, i love it i remember the first time brandy uh, my wife showed me uh, uh the doors on vinyl and i just it blew my mind like i was like wow this yeah. sounds like they're in our house playing live on stage it's yeah a, it's incredible vinyl is just an am- amazing you know uh, music source yeah and hearing the doors on vinyl was like the album did the drugs for me like <laughs> i i didn't even need to do the drugs once i heard all vital i was like this is perfect like i need nothing like this is this is everything you need right here so yeah which it was super duper awesome but speaking of awesome we're here with the amazing mark with a c and we're going to go and pay some bills and we're going to be right back with more of the happy hour and johnny and dude 
This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by Huracan 2017. Crush your enemies, drive them before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. Delve into the many aspects of the Dark Ages at Huracan 2017 from September 28th through October 1st and experience the best historical miniature gaming convention in Florida. Hosted by the Historical Miniatures Gaming Society South Chapter, Huracan offers both the novice and the veteran hobby gamer a fantastic weekend of tabletop excitement and camaraderie. There will be over 100 different game events across nine scheduled sessions. And these activities will include war games, role-playing games, and board games across a wide range of time periods, genres, and rule systems. In addition to the games, there will be merchant vendors selling game product and fast and furious flea market loaded with hidden treasures and fantastic deals. And there will also be some of the most talented and friendly gamers with whom you ever could hope to share a game table. Huracan 2017 will be held at the Park Inn by Radisson Resort and Conference Center in Kissimmee, Florida, just off of U.S. Highway 192. Special convention rate hotel rooms are $82 per night, plus tax, with no additional resort fees. Convention pre-registration admission price is $25 for HMGS South members or $40 for non-members. For more information, visit hmgs-south.com and follow the links to Huracan 2017. The Dark Ages don't miss out. This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by the Lakeland Role-Playing Guild. Join the adventure with the Lakeland Role-Playing Guild. Founded in 2000, the Guild starts its 18th year of supporting and promoting the role-playing game hobby in September with a big anniversary party and some lightly structured games. The Guild hosts too many convention-style game nights every month on the 2nd and 4th Fridays, where you can find up to four scheduled and prepared games, plus up to three open tables, all ready for a packed four hours of hobby-centered fun and fellowship. Among the regularly scheduled games on the LRPG's rotating calendar are three exclusive in-house ongoing campaigns, one exclusive in-house mini-campaign anthology series, and a few periodic episodes of members' personal home campaigns. The majority of those games are RPGs, but miniature war games hit the guild tables as well, along with the occasional board game. Some events also feature instructional clinics and roundtable discussions on a variety of game rules, techniques, and theories, so all participants can share their experience and learn more about the hobby from each other. The Guild also has planned gaming-free social outings on those random fifth Fridays that pop up some month. And of course, members of the LRPG take part in area conventions as players and game masters, as well as coordinate some activities with other gaming clubs. For more information on the Lakeland Role-Playing Guild, visit the website at lakeland-rpg.com or check out the social media at facebook.com slash Lakeland Role-Playing Guild and on Twitter at LakelandRPG plus hashtag Dice on the Road. Lakeland Role Playing Guild, they play games! Everybody, I've talked a little bit about different facets of my life today, but uh, I haven't talked yet about my wife. I'm so lucky that I am with this beautiful, mild, meek, sweet, intelligent, funny woman who has the mouth of a trucker as soon as you put a video game controller in her hand. One of those nights, one of those nights, I'm in my office working and I can hear her playing a 
the game in the living room and she's clicking away and she's all and she was getting mad and grunting and I'm like she has the cutest grunt in the entire world and then the grunt gets a little more intensive just I'm like hey is everything okay and then there's just silence and then she responds with I'm about to punch Dr. Mario in the dick so I'm like well are you are you okay? Like, do you, can I call someone? It's just, no! It's about to be dick puncher three, the dick in it in here! So, I then took to social media and I told everybody about this wonderful exchange that had just occurred, and the internet agreed, that sounds like the name of the greatest fucking action movie of all time, Dick Puncher Three, The Dickening. And we all know that if there's gonna be a great action movie, that great action movie needs a bitchin' theme song. So ladies and gentlemen, here is the theme to Dick Puncher 3, The Dickening. If you've got a message and you want it to stick, then find that recipient and punch him the dick, punch him in the peen. This is Dick Puncher 3. It's the dickening. If you're mad at a lawyer from Bogan, Muns and Muns, gotta punch that lawyer right in the vast difference. Then say it's from me, cause it's Dick Puncher 3. It's the dickening. Give a knuckle sandwich to his beef bayonet. Beat his tallywhacker senses with an alto clarinet. Now, do you know somebody that really makes you mad? Well, treat his baloney pony just like a punching bag. Hurt his family tree. Cause it's Dick Puncher 3. It's a dickening. Punch him in the weenie. This is Dick Puncher 3. It's a dickening. This is Dick Puncher 3. It's for the vitamin C. It's the dickening. <laughs> that concludes the ballad portion of the evening. <laughs> I bare my soul for you guys, and you're like, yeah, whatever. I talk about dicks, room lights up. Ladies and gentlemen, Tumblr is not just relegated to the fucking internet. Dicks everywhere. Not you guys. Shit. And we are back with the happy hour of Johnny Deuce featuring Mark with a C. I am your special guest host, Nathan Rayford, and I'm here with the gang uh, talking to one of my favorite artists of... of existing memory uh and mark so one of the things when we first saw you is i've always loved like i i am a i wish i could be a performer in that in a musical sense i can talk in front of groups all day i am a public speaker but i do not have the, i do not have the ability to produce music i love when a artist interacts with the crowd sometimes it's as simple as you know holding the mic out and letting the sing the lines of the, the next line of the song uh you do that but you also take it further uh the literal moment that me and my wife can say we fell in love with you is life so hard 
you played that song and in the end there's actually a built-in audience participation is that something that you strive for is that something that just kind of happened one day or was it completely planned um life so hard is an interesting case to bring up because the song existed for about and by the way thank you for your compliments on on uh the crowd interaction and the bantering, I appreciate that. But Life So Hard is a very specific case, and few people believe me on this, but uh, that came out in 2006. But it was written in 2004, and almost was going to go on the album This World is Scary as Fuck, but I held it back because I believed that no one was going to get it. And as universal as it seems, I was actually writing it about a 15-year-old fan who found my AOL screen name and she was trying to badger me into going to the Warped Tour with her. So, and then I said, no, like there's nothing there for me. You know, I'm not um, not okay with this. And also I'm a lot older than you and this isn't appropriate. And then she went and wrote a whiny live journal post about it and sent it to me so I would know that I had just broken this fan's heart. So I wrote the song and sent it to her. And it, this is all so I thought it song. was so specific, nobody would get it. And I remember when I first did it live, I was like, maybe if I write a way for people to sing it with me, it'll go over. So even if they don't get what I was saying, then there's a point where it looks like it went over. And it turns out I was just um, worrying too much over nothing. Well, I would like to add two awesome points to the story that he's totally just going over. One is that that is a perfect time capsule with AOL screen name and live journal post. <laughs> like you, you ask a kid nowadays what a live journal post or AOL screen name is, and I'm be they're gonna be like, I don't fucking know. So like, it's a really cool time capsule of that particular period, and also a kudos to you. You've got the best fucking album names ever man like every time you pull out a new album name i'm like that's even fucking better than the last one which i didn't know was possible so oh you're gonna love the album motherfuckers be bullshitting then. that is my favorite that, <laughs> that is why when album. i asked you for songs that we could use for rejoins i wanted that one because i love that song and the other one was this meeting is bullshit or something to that I don't know if that's the exact yeah, title, it. but yeah, because I was listening to that song today, maybe at work, and I'm like, this is so fucking true. This meeting is <laughs> bullshit. This could have been an email. Like, there's no reason for this bullshit meeting. It's not even my fucking department. <laughs> yeah, I just was writing out memories of corporate working, so and I was jotting it down, not, not even like a, a poem, just kind of you know, scribbling in a notebook. And I went, oh, I wonder what would happen if I put chords behind this. And lo and behold, it, uh, so far, I haven't even played that song live yet. I've, I've been on a bit of a live hiatus, but everybody that's uh, paid attention to what I do seemed to like that song, so I'm glad it's doing its job so far. Brother, that song speaks to blue-collar, cubicle, corporate America in ways that you, you just don't even understand. Because I was like, yeah, that's right. Fuck those motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I kind of quit your... Uh, the reason why I was asking earlier about the uh, album titles is because I don't know if you've ever listened to Frank Zappa at all. 
Um, um, I am such a Frank Zappa nerd that you should tread carefully because I can make this into the Zappa cast. Awesome. <laughs> well, see, I was going to say, for those who don't know who Frank Zappa is, I mean, he was this amazing musician back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. He actually played all the way until he passed away, and like he's been, made some amazing music. A little bit out there, not for everyone, um, but I, I, he definitely influenced a lot of people. But his album titles and names of his songs were just crazy sounding and they got your attention when you heard like all right this is the next album next album from Frank Zappa everyone turned their heads because it was this crazy name for so when I hear when I was listening going through your uh, discography I was looking through your albums and I was like man these, these are some really ca- like they make sense when you look at it you're like yeah. what is this? I want to see more what is this album about you yeah. know because the album title kind of like you said earlier kind of catches your attention you're like I want to dive into this album and check it out so I, I kind of the first thing I was thinking of was Frank Zappa I was like wow he must be a Frank Zappa fan because Frank Zappa was the same way he wanted to throw out these awesome titles for his uh, uh, albums and his songs. Well, that's exactly how today, like, when I went to, to your website and I was bouncing around with the, like, I started with the live album, and then when I got done with the live album, that's exactly what I did. Like, I would just find, like, what looks like a really cool album title. Motherfuckers be bullshit. Okay, let's listen to this. And then go through that album and then, you know, go to the unicorn album uh, and i was like oh that's a cool album title and it's newer and go through that and just kind of that was kind of what helped me pick which of your albums that i listened to today because i listened to quite a few actually um but it, it you're exactly right that's kind of what led me to them was just the song titles and the album titles well, it's funny because, you know, like Zappa has like, uh, was it Lumpy Gravy, Chug is Revenge. Like he has all these crazy names for titles for his albums. And I'm just like, that got my attention when I, you know, I was a younger kid, like listen, checking it out. And I was like, wow, these are, I'm going to go check it out and see. So it's genius yeah. on your part, by the way, yeah. Mark. Like it's, people are going to be like, what is this about? I want to check it out. So it's from a marketing standpoint, I think it's genius. Now, oh, thanks. That's the first time I've ever been in the same sentence as Frank Zappa when I wasn't just talking about him. So that means more to me than you can, you can imagine. He's a, he's such a visionary and, um, he's definitely on a pedestal in my head. So that means a whole lot to me. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so for those who don't know some of your titles, so we have, uh, motherfuckers be bullshitting, which, which is, is a fucking stellar album, by the way, unicorns get more bacon. You have a series of covers that share the covers, bitch. Um, my favorite named one is Linda Loveless for president. That is the most <laughs> random name ever. And I, I laughed just reading the first time I went through all your stuff. I laughed for legit five minutes just at the title of the album because it was just so random and unexpected. It's uh, you know, that's named after a movie. Really? Yeah, there's a 1975 film that's technically the it, it would have been the third installment in the Deep Throat trilogy, but it's. Uh, I guess depending on which cut you see, it's softcore porn. There's no actual penetration in it, and not a lot of people know that there was a sequel to Deep Throat with no penetrative sex in it, and it was actually kind of a spy movie. And she had such a bizarre film career after the obvious movie that everybody knows, and I was uh, fascinated by how a movie called like Linda Lovelace for president could exist and that by the end of this movie that's so wrong so wrong that it's right uh, <laughs> that you you are kind of coming around to it like yeah we could do worse <laughs> I still like that he made a whole album titled after a porno I think yeah. that that's my takeaway for this story which is fucking amazing yeah it's 
So we, we had mentioned before, we, we, we used the word Orlando legend. Um, for those who don't know, in Orlando, there is a uh, publication called Orlando Weekly. It kind of gives what's going on in Orlando on a weekly basis. And one of the big things is they do an awards. Uh, and this uh, it started off smaller and has actually become quite a big deal. Oh, it's huge um, now. Trust me, as, as two guys that have been trying to crack into that son of a bitch <laughs> like a yeah. fucking squirrel busting into a walnut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is huge now. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so Mark, you've actually, what, three times been – you've won an Orlando Weekly Award? Oh, I don't remember which ones I won. Um, I know I won something in 2003, and then there was one a little bit later. But since then, I've been nominated. At least I've made it to the final nominees every year. And there was one year where um, I can't remember what happened, but they their site crashed or something, and they completely lost all of the votes. So they just skipped the category that I was nominated in, but I, I was at least a nominee that year. And this year again, I was nominated, and it's, um, I some people will campaign for votes, and every platform that I use, like be it Twitter, be it um, my email list, I only mention that it's available once. I'll say it for the first round where it's write-ins, and I'll mention it if I make it to the second ones. But if I win it. I don't want it to be because I guilt-tripped you and went, please make me win the popularity contest because I could care less. It's not going to have any effect on what I do in the future anyways. But it's nice to be recognized for doing a good job, and if that's going to happen, I want it to be organic. So he does the anti-Johnny and Deuce approach is what I'm hearing. <laughs> is he does the mention it once and leave it alone, not the – teabag you with it over and over again until you fucking put your vote in so i respect that sir hashtag deuces on the loose yeah because yeah. man we yeah i i will i will shout it off of every mountaintop and every digital platform i can vote for us for the love of god because it's such to win that award or even not even to win just but be get nominated just be nominated yeah. is such a huge deal and it opens so many doors that i just for me personally, I just can't balk at it. Like, I'll, I'm the biggest whore about it there is. I've got to tell you, since I've won a couple times, I'm in sort of a unique position to, to say this. It changed precisely nothing for me. And uh, they started doing the parties a couple years ago. So you basically, if you're, if you're nominated, you get an invite to the party if you make it to the, the final round. And I'm not much of a drinker. And... Uh, I think anybody who takes a look at me or listens to any of my music can tell I'm definitely not a social butterfly who likes hanging out at parties. But uh, they, they do have some nice catering at the parties. So I'll show up and kind of get a sandwich and leave. So since nobody's ever said, oh, I saw that you won Best of Orlando. Do you want to come play a show? I feel like the award just kind of is a sandwich. Yeah, unless you're Deuce because you bring Ziploc bags and maybe a girlfriend with a large purse, and then it's a lot of sandwiches. Oh, it's like that Simpsons episode at the candy convention, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, like I, I'm, I'm not fucking with Good you. Boy. Like, I will, I will, I will bring a backpack. I will bring a girlfriend with a very large Golden Girls purse with a bunch of uh, Ziploc bags, and we will sandwich bag the fuck out of a sandwich platter, and then bounce <laughs> like it's our job. So. There might be an alleged wedding for somebody we know that I'm planning <laughs> on doing this at. Just going to the reception, getting a bunch of sandwiches, and leaving. So. Oh, my gosh. But no, well, I, in that case, 
please, you know, market your nominations or your abilities to, to be eligible from the mountaintops that you mentioned, because I want you to have as many sandwiches as you want for, for what you do. But that's basically all I've ever really gotten out of it was that there was some pretty bitchin' catering. Yeah. Well, I did have a question, and this is going to be the only hard-hitting question you get from us, Mark. And Hard. That, right. Yeah. I know you play at a bunch of different venues in Orlando, and me and Johnny have been lucky enough that we've actually been able to play at a couple different venues across Orlando. And we wanted to ask you personally, being an artist kind of like we are, do you have a personal favorite or like a couple favorites that you just really, really enjoy going to? Just because I've seen that we played some of the same buildings and I kind of wanted to like get your opinion on it. Uh, let's see. Well, I like the Geek Easy a lot because it feels like home and I was the first artist that ever played there. Really? So it's Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was me and Marion Call. So it's always, and I have a long history with that building. Uh, before it was a comic shop and the Geek Easy, I was uh, the guy helping run the record store that was in that place that was named Hullabaloo. So my holiday shows took place right in that very spot before a comic shop even existed. So that place just feels like I'm coming home every time I play there. So, of course, I love that one. I really like the stage sound at The Social. Um, it, it's one of the rare places where you can really hear yourself. I don't know if that's the same for those that are in the audience, mind you, but I enjoy the sound up there. And um, let's see. You know, it'd be hard for me to find a place I don't like. But mostly, as long as I'm not playing outdoors... I'm pretty happy. If I'm playing outdoors, you can bet no matter how big that smile on my face is when I'm singing, it's plastered on there with shellac. I am a large man, and I sweat a lot, and Florida is unforgiving to large men. Well, actually, it's kind of funny because we, we do a, a handful of outdoor gigs, and I, and I understand because you're always under the, the weather it, when it depends on is it going to be a cool day, is the rain, like they're – when you move yourself to an outdoor venue, you're kind of rolling the life dice, if you will, on what's going to happen. So then you kind of are at the beck and call of Mother Nature at that point. Yeah, and Mother Nature just doesn't like me very much. That humidity is just a punishing mistress. And Nathan, who's seen me many times, can tell you no matter how freezing that room is, there's something about if I strap on a guitar, I am just sweating my balls off constantly. I will leave that stage completely drenched. So when you add in the elements to it, it's like someone blasted me with a hose and it becomes hard to actually grip the neck of the guitar and hit the right frets because my fingers are sliding off from the sweat. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. even think so of that part. It, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, and this is no way a negative. The yeah. first time we saw you, uh, I was, I'm was i a huge Robin Williams fan. Uh, in his <laughs> live shows, he sweats. Like a whore in church, man. And I literally had made the comment that said, he is really rocking out up there because he's sweating like Robin Williams. And it was not a negative thing. It was just you put – I mean, I, some people play songs and some people perform. And that's where I think some of that sweat may come from. You are really into it. You're you are very animated in a positive way. Not I mean, I don't mean like jumping around aimlessly, but you, you can tell you're putting yourself every time you play the song, even if you've played the song for the thousandth time. And that's one of the things I've always liked. 
Yeah, I, I the most exercise I ever get is on stage for sure, <laughs> and it shows. It shows. I look like I just had a workout because I did. But I also think it's really cool, like what you said, Nate, because it, it it's true. Like some artists will get up there and they'll just play a f- song, and then some artists perform. Now I've never seen you perform live, but from everything I've gotten from our social media, from our fans, uh, from other people asking around before the interview, because I try and do as much homework as possible before we do interviews. It's always been that like seeing one of your live shows is number one experience, but two, they're like, you're not going to get the total package until you see him live. I I can only take that as a compliment. So speaking of life, what do you have coming up for those who are going to hear this podcast and might want to go check out uh, a Mark with a C show? Well, uh, let's see. Which ones can I talk about currently? My first show back, I'm doing a a short solo thing opening for Schaefer the Dark Lord on September 9th at the Geek Easy. If you're listening to this far into the future, this is in the year of our squid uh, 2017, but... Um, if you're listening in 2018, do not go to these venues on this day because I likely won't be there. Um, <laughs> September 30th, back to the Geek Easy for IQ's birthday party. Um, he's a local hip-hop legend, and he just, speaking of MC Chris, he just headlined the Viper Room in L.A. with MC Chris. And he was like, Mark, you want to come play my birthday party? And I'm like, I'm already there. I'm practically camping out. So there's that one in October. I'm playing not one, not two, but three shows opening for the Rich Weirdos who do a shadow cast version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show at Universal Studios. And November 4th, there's an Orlando Nerdfest mystery event, and that's all I'm allowed to say, but I'll be a headliner on the 4th. And then the annual holiday show is happening this December, but I don't have that date right in front of me because I don't think we've officially announced that yet. Um, it's okay that I said that because I didn't really tell you what the date is or what the theme is. But those are the ones that are coming up that I can talk about. Well, the good news for you is your episode is dropping uh, this Tuesday coming up because that's our big day. So we wanted to make sure that you got the big spotlight. So it'll be next Tuesday. So all these dates will still work. Also, if you could, for a brother, put in a good word with the happy hour on Johnny and Deuce to Orlando Nerd Fest because we've been trying to work with them for a hot minute. So uh, we'd love to be able to work together with you on that. And Johnny, you I, had a question. Yeah, I had a question. Like, so you have h- how many albums total do you have? Uh, I don't. I can't count more than ten, right? For those that haven't checked you out, yeah, more than ten albums, right? Definitely. Yeah. How do you come up with a set list for your shows? Every single one is a total crapshoot. It's very hard to do. Usually, there's a third that I know people like that have been kind of tried and true. Uh, so that's about a third of the set list. A third is, okay, where am I playing? Who's probably going? What do they like? So this way I kind of play specifically to some audience members sometimes. And then there's a third where it's basically masturbatory, where I'm pleasing myself and playing what I want to do. And usually I find that if I'm most into a song, that is really contagious, even if it's an unfamiliar song. So, uh, but often, you know, I've also got to make time for whatever the latest release is to promote it. And we've been having trouble with how we're going to fit in everything when the next album comes out. Because so much of that is built for the stage. I have, 
It's hard. If you ever hear that I've quit, it's going to be because of one of two things. One, I got just fucking tired of changing guitar strings because I hate it. Or I went, fuck this set list bullshit. It is so tough, man. They'll give me 35 minutes with like having written 250 songs. That is so tough, man. But if you give me a microphone and no time limits, I will play for three hours. That's awesome. Nice. That that actually is really cool because, like I said, when I went and checked out his website today, like he's got a lot of stuff. So he's got a library of songs. So I could understand where you're like, okay, you've got 30 minutes where you'd be like, oh, shit. Because me and you have been in that boat at events before where they're like, look, um, do you mind filling in and doing like 15 minute or do, you know, what do they call in the in the comedy business? Can you give me your, your tight 10 or, you know, something like that? And I'm like what the fuck do you want me to do with 10 minutes? Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's not what my comedy's built for. Same thing with the podcast. It's like, we're, we don't have a tight 10. Like, we've got, <laughs> we, you know, like, it's not exactly what we're built for. So, yeah, I could see going in a venue and they're like, yeah, you've got 35 minutes. You're like, it's like picking your favorite child. Like, how are you going to pick the five or six or eight songs you want to do in 35 minutes? It's always rolling the dice, but... Uh, when I'm solo, the best news is that if I see that what I thought was going to work when I get there isn't working, I can toss it out the window and read the room. And that's been a real blessing. And a lot of what you will see from me live is just working off the top of my head and I'm looking at audience members, noticing what they're wearing, um, making, a, you know, tailoring the show to the person who came. Sometimes there will be events that happened before the show you know, while people were waiting for the gig to start and I'll be making inside jokes about that because the, the gig is only to me for the people who made the trip out there. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm completely against live streaming or things like that, but the gig is real time feedback. And if I expect instant gratification, I need to be prepared to give it as well. One thing I like in, in kind of talking about what you just said in the set list Every show I've been at, you've given the crowd an option. You, you literally said, I have a song about this or about this. And you kind of keep it vague for maybe new people. And you kind of go by crowd noise, which shocked me the first time. Because you literally said, the first show I ever went to, you said, do we have a song about Derek Jeter or I have a song about time travel? Which one do you want? And I, I, was, I was instantly hooked because it was my first time ever seeing you. I was like, that, we're getting an option. And how do I pick from those two things? It, everyone went with time machine because I think they knew it was life so hard. Um, but I, I love that aspect of, of, of that feedback and it makes you feel like you are, you are, you are singing just to me, even though there's, uh, dozens and dozens of people listening, I feel like there's that interaction, even though you asked the whole room, I felt like I had a part of the show, which I, I have to thank you for. And don't ever stop doing that. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's de that part is definitely built in because I'm an artist, but I'm also an entertainer. The art is made when I'm alone in my office with my tools making the stuff. I'm pleasing myself. If it doesn't pass me enjoying it on some level or thinking someone else will enjoy it, it never even gets finished. But the second I've put it out into the world, my job when I've shown up is to make you feel like you've made a good choice. I have to deliver entertainment on time and make you feel good about that choice. So I take both equally seriously. The writing takes so long because it's got to be right. 
It's got to be something that I can stand behind. And when you have as much material as I have, sometimes you make missteps. And, oh, boy, have I made missteps. And, man, I am the worst at picking what song people are going to dig. Because, you know, I told you the, so, the story about Life So Hard. I had no idea that would go on to be such a popular thing. I'm thankful it is, though. Um, but, yeah, it's I'm, I want everybody to feel like I'm singing to them because I am. I'm singing to the individuals. I'm not going... I am singing to a crowd of nerds. I'm not going to do that. It's not. There's nothing universal about an audience. Everybody came in with a different expectation, and you know, maybe paid a babysitter or had to borrow a car or switch that night off work. Everybody deserves at least a little bit of a personalized experience. I definitely agree with that. Damn, I like that. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. cool uh, cool motto for those at home that you know are you know are aspiring musicians or whatever your craft is, you know. Do your best to try to tailor mate your show for the person that's coming. You know that's yeah. that's a really cool idea, and also it it probably isn't like you've had to work on it throughout the years, you know. But like uh, I don't know if it comes natural to everybody that you're able to just automatically perceive the room and see, you know, like that's got to take time for some people. Uh, you know, they don't normally pick it up right away. But like that's a great a great tip, actually, pro tip for those that are listening at home. You know, try to do your best to you know check out your surroundings and. You know, go to well, your we venue. We do that a lot. Yeah, we, we, we go yeah. to our venue early. We check it out, see where the yeah. parking is, see what time people load in and all that stuff. So. Yeah, and then we also, like, doing comedy, like, you kind of got to read the room because you got to see, like, who who's there, kind of look at what people are wearing and different things, and then use that as a barometer right. to kind of, like, gauge, okay, what what's going to go over well and what's going to go over like a, right. you know, turd on a punch bowl. Yeah. So, <laughs> well. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a gearhead myself. Uh, I, I play instruments, multiple instruments, instruments uh, just for kind of my own enjoyment. Uh, and I was just curious uh, what your setup was, what type of guitars you like to play, uh, what sound system. Do you go direct into the PA? Do you bring your own? Uh, what type of mics do you like using? Just kind of what gear you like to use. Uh, for a l Well, let's start with acoustic. Sure. Uh, acoustic, I have this guitar that I've been using since around 2003 or 2004, and it's basically a tool. It's a, a Schechter Diamond series. It plays just like an electric, but happens to make an acoustic sound. And it, I have tried many other acoustics, but none of them work for what I do, because some of them, when you put it behind your head to play, like they, they don't sit just right or they'll slide off your shirt. Um, just everything about the cutaway fits my performance well, um, but it's notoriously trebly and hard to mix. So that that part, I'm always looking for ways to improve it. But uh, electric, for for a long time, my setup was a, a Vox amplifier, it was a Vox AC VR15, uh, a couple of low end pedals to make it distorted or in tune. And then a Rickenbacker 360 six string, that's my go-to. But if I um, if I break a string on it, my backup right now is a Fender Strat, just you know, kind of run-of-the-mill Strat. Um, I'm not that much of a gearhead though, and what I, what I just uh, you might find this interesting as one. I just switched the amp. I'm no longer using the Vox on stage because I just I, it was so mid-rangey that I, I couldn't find a sweet spot that I liked. And I happened to try, of all things, a Rickenbacker amp. And this thing is little. It looks like a practice amplifier. And um, Nathan, did you happen to see the show where I opened for MC Lars the second time with my band? 
just recently with uh, Mega Ran, right? Yeah. Yes, I was there. Did you notice that you had to duck and not be in the line of fire of where my guitar amp was pointing? <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely. There was that. Actually, my wife made a, a kind of a comment about that. Actually. Yeah, we were just learning how to use it. That thing is so we we didn't know it could possibly get as loud as it was. So I was used to having to crank the amp on stage to be able to hear it, and this one was too damn loud for the room. But meanwhile, wow. it's not even as tall as my knee. It's it's just such a powerful little thing, and it's just the right setup for me. As far as microphones live, just give me a fifty-eight. Just give me the the standard run of the mill. But right now, I'm using uh, to talk to you a Sterling Audio condenser. Um, in the studio, I think tried and true is the way to go, but I also think that you can have a, a relationship with your microphones where when you learn their frequency response, then you can use it for anything as long as you also learn the EQ curve to enhance what that microphone does best. And I've made records, and I won't tell you which ones, but I've made records where I tried to record everything with only one microphone and then overdub it with that same microphone and then so on and so forth trying to match it properly with frequency slotting and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't yeah it's uh it's interesting because you mentioned Rickenbacker you know and, and you were talking about classic rock earlier you know for those who don't know the Beatles uh they the Beatles they loved Rickenbacker especially it was a uh, Paul McCartney he he had a uh he used to, he used to play a Rickenbacker bass, uh, and he yeah uh, he mostly played the Hofner. Bass, oh, the Hofner the, the was it? Yeah, bass. he he played the Hofner, but like I I know at Rickenbacker, like I used to work for a music shop, uh, which I won't mention the name, but uh, we we saw a lot of Rickenbacker uh, uh, instruments, and they they put on a really they have an awesome. Is that what Stamos bought? <laughs> Stamos bought. Uh, uh, inside joke. Uh, John Stamos came into my shop one time, and I did not realize it was John Stamos. This guy comes in with this. I don't think Uncle I've ever Jesse comes into yeah. your fucking store. Yeah, you don't know that it's Uncle well, fucking no, no. Jesse. It, no, no, no. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but you meet somebody, and you're like, that person looks so familiar. And they come in, and they're asking questions. He's pulling off acoustic off the wall, and he's strumming and tuning it up or whatever, and he's playing. He, he sounds like he's pretty proficient with the instrument. And then, he, you know, he has this blonde on his arm, and they're they're talking whatever, and then he's like, thank you, guys. I got to go. And he walks out. And my manager at the time, he's like, dude, wasn't that cool? I said, what do you mean? He goes, that, Uncle Jesse just played one of our guitars. And I'm like, what? And then it hit me. I'm like, that was John Stamos. And so it's really hilarious whenever you run into somebody, you know. Well, at least you know who George Lucas was when you met him. Yeah, so that's that, true. At least, at least you knew who that guy was. Well, that was, was because of Disney. But well, you know, yeah. when I worked for Disney, I got to meet him or whatever. But, like, it, it's really funny because different, like, I always think, you know, the, the guitar itself, you know, I've uh, been playing guitar forever. But, like, it's an extension of you, right? So whatever becomes part of you the the guitar like it takes time and i always feel like there's there is you don't pick the guitar the guitar picks you you know and i feel like the same way with amps the amp will pick you like you'll just be like it'll be like the light the stars align and you're like oh this is meant to be this 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 works for me and, it, and it's trial and error of course but it's like whenever you have that right combination it just feels magical i don't have another way of describing it it just yeah. feels magical so for years i just didn't care i yeah. it was whatever <laughs> Um, if I had the idea was more important than the tool because I find if you're limited with tools Then you'll end up having to make whatever you've got good You'll have to find a way to make it work and it was only recently where I went. Oh crap now I know a little too much and 
no, I can't make crap gear work anymore. <laughs> so I had to start educating myself. And the first time I played a Rickenbacker, it just went, where have I been your whole life, fucker? And uh, it was, I have to have that now immediately. That was my go-to electric. And uh, I love it. It's, um, it. it's a part of the family. It eats Thanksgiving dinner with us. It <laughs> writes mystery novels under the name J.D. McGregor. There you go. Nice. Awesome. Well, Mark, we really appreciate your time. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, where can they listen to your music? Where can they follow you on social media? Uh, where can they find out about you? Well, I'm glad you've given me this half hour to say that. Um, MarkWithAC.com is basically just a map of my records. That's pretty much all it is. On the side, there's some show dates, but ultimately, get acquainted with the music because if you don't like what I do – Man, you're going to have the worst time at my gigs. You're just going to fucking hate life if you don't like my songs. So I want you to try those first. And they're also available for you to check out on Spotify. There's a Pandora station where you can hear things that they say allegedly sound like me. Um, the the dentist that I went to last week was actually playing Mark with a C's Pandora station. And it was awkward. And, you know, if you're just joining us, uh, awkward is a word that white people use to describe everything. So if you want to follow me <laughs> independently of the songs that I make and you just like when I talk, wow, I've got you covered. And that's uh, on Twitter. You can follow me at Mark Fi. That's M-A-R-C-F-I. As in there's lo-fi, mid-fi, hi-fi, but then there's also Mark Fi. Uh, Facebook.com slash Mark with a C music. And I've got a Patreon because what I do is not free. It's not cheap. These records don't make themselves. And I, oh my God, the music industry just isn't what it used to be. You can't make it on just album sales and gig sales alone anymore unless you're absolutely huge. So patreon.com slash Mark with a C helps me to do what I'm going to make anyways, but it helps me make it a little bit faster and with a little less belt tightening and doing without to make those things there's also instagram if you want to just look at pictures of my bunnies that's instagram.com slash mark with a because mark with a c was taken so it's just mark with a um uh, i think there's probably more i am mark with a c dot dot com which is only sporadically updated because i forget that it exists <laughs> um i'm on zanga at no i'm kidding i'm not on zanga <laughs> i don't think that exists yeah, I, th um, I was waiting I for your WordPress. Yeah. <laughs> or what? what is it called? Live the journal. Live, live journal. Live journal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, no, I don't have a live journal. Should I go make one? I, I don't I even know if they exist. exist anymore. It might in some you form. You have to say your life is over because you're asked to take the trash out. That's the first <laughs> I have thought about um, getting into my old MySpace account and leaking new music there because no one would ever hear it. Like, I could secretly put up the single from my next record on MySpace and no one would ever know. It'd be kind of a, a neat fuck you, but I don't really feel fuck you towards anybody who wants to listen. So it was just a flight of fancy. But maybe if I like leaked news at a live journal, no one would ever see that coming, right? Yeah. Good point. <laughs> like only like the like the true hardcore fans that like did the research would find it. Oh bless them. First they get the tattoos, then they look for my live journal. Right on. Go. Well speaking of the hardcore fans, the hardcore fans can find us at HH Podcast Show on the Twitter machine. Also, you can find us at HH Podcast Show at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to send us your emails for Ask the Buck. We're going back to see Buck, the Mega Buck, very, very soon at the Retro Game Treasure. 
uh, hideout, headquarters, if yeah. you will. And we want to take as many questions for them as possible, so make sure you send us those. And put in the subject line, Ask the Buck. Also, you can go to Facebook.com forward slash Happy Hour Podcast Show and hear all of our amazing episodes. We're almost at 300, so there's a lot of backlog that you can check out at SoundCloud.com forward slash Happy Hour Podcast. And don't forget to give us a like at Facebook.com forward slash Happy Hour Podcast Show. And, of course, there's not one, there's not two, but there are three hashtags you want to use when you're on the Twitter machine. Hashtag Happy Hour Podcast. Hashtag HH Podcast Show. And hashtag Deuces on the Loose. Later. Yeah.